the Lord is good. His love for me never runs out. Come taste and see that the Lord is good. He is good. Come now and drink and be satisfied. Forgiveness overflowing Come now and drink And you will find He is good God, you're always good Just one word Just one touch From you and I
Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Worship at Fusion this morning. We're so glad that you've joined us here in this space as well as online. Welcome. At this time, I invite you to stand up and greet one another with the peace of Christ. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 67. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you.
In your presence we are free There's no better place to be There's no better place to be In your presence there is truth In your presence mountains move We forever run to you We forever run to you In your presence there is peace In your presence we are free There's no better place to be There's no better place to be In your presence there is truth In your presence mountains move We forever run to you We forever run to We need you now. Come have your way in this place. Break our walls down. Spirit of God, pour out on a bed in heaven. Jesus, we need you always we're actually going to start with the chorus Nate sorry about that and the and team it's actually kind of a newer one and we're doing it a little different key so I want to give us a chance to learn it a little bit I will tell I will tell of your wonders, sing of your grace. The God of creation knows me by name. The Lord is faithful yesterday, now and always, always. Your mercy, your mercy is mighty age after age. All generations will bow down and praise the Lord is faithful yesterday, now, and always, always. I believe you gave sight to the blind. I believe that the dead came to life. I believe there were wonders and signs. You're still the same. every word that you said I believe there are scars in your hands that your goodness is good without end you'll never change I will tell I will tell of your wonders sing of your grace the God of creation
My mic was off. That was on me. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, we love our children. Amen. Amen. And uh, those sounds of our kids running, running past the front and, and hearing them make a little, little noises and stuff, that's a gift from God because our children are a gift from God. And Fusion family, we have the double joy and privilege this morning to witness and claim God's love and faithfulness as uh, Peter and Alyssa Noe uh, have been attending Fusion uh, regularly and uh, today they take that step to be part of, become part of this wild and amazing Hardawake family here at Fusion. And so that's the first joy and privilege that we have. Uh, but along with that step, it is their desire uh, to present their children, Ellie and Rowan, before God and his church in baptism, and so that is a, a beautiful thing. Amen? Amen, amen. Uh, in baptism, there's, there's several things happening. We try to remind ourselves of this every Sunday that we come forward, particularly for infant baptism or young children baptism. Peter and Alyssa are making promises today uh, to raise their kids, to teach them about Jesus. The other thing that's happening is we as a church family are making promises to the Noe family saying, we are with you and we're making promises for these little ones. We're gonna love them and encourage them and maybe give them little treats. You guys like treats? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, but the, but the, the ama most amazing thing that's happening today in baptism is that God is confirming promises that he's made. God is making promises. Um, because, because God, we are claiming in baptism that Ellie and Rowan, and you're looking at your picture, that, you're a cutie, aren't you? <laughs> and uh, Ellie and Rowan, you are, you are God's children. And that's what, we're, that's what we're saying today. That's a pretty cool thing. And we do this because Scripture testifies to God's faithfulness. That last song we just sang, boy, nailed it, right? God is faithful yesterday, today, and always. Uh, God's faithfulness, he, he works in covenant. And throughout the story, we've been talking about covenant, and God established this covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and a sign of that covenant that was placed on, on infants, eight days old boys, right, was the sign of circumcision, and this was God's way of marking God's covenant children at a very young age. Well, in Jesus Christ, he establishes a new covenant, and the New Testament teaches us that baptism is a new sign of that covenant, that in these waters of baptism, we say these are God's children. And because we believe in God's faithfulness, uh, we, we offer this gift for adults as well as our children because we understand that God's faithfulness and love for us preceded our ability to choose and love him, right? While we were yet sinners, the scriptures say, God loves us. God, Christ died for us. And so, as, as I think about that, um, Peter and Alyssa, you've, you've loved Ellie and you've loved Rowan long before they had a sense of your love. 
long, like you, they were your kids the moment you, they came into your mind, like that you understood them as your kids. They are your children. And in the same way today, even though they have a small understanding of God's Christ's love and an age-appropriate understanding, we remember how deeply loved they are by our Heavenly Father, how Jesus Christ died on their behalf as well. And so in baptism, we claim that they are God's covenant children. Ellie, are you ready? Are you ready? I'm going to invite you guys to come forward uh, for this baptism. And Ellie, do you, do you want to check out the water? It's still warm. Yeah, we make it nice. Is that good? That's good. All right. Peter and Alyssa, because God has given you the responsibility to love and raise Ellie and Rowan, I ask you to make the following commitments. And after I ask all questions, just answer, we do God helping us. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, accept the promises of God and affirm the truth of the Christian faith which is proclaimed in the Bible and confessed in this church of Christ? Do you believe that your children, though sinful in nature, are received by God in Christ as members of his covenant and therefore ought to be baptized? And do you promise in reliance on the Holy Spirit and with the help of the Christian community to do all in your power to instruct Ellie and Rowan in their Christian faith and to lead them by your example to be Christ's disciples? Peter and Alyssa, what is your response? Amen. All right, now Fusion family, we get to make our promises. I invite you to stand as we have the joy and privilege of standing along with Peter and Alyssa in their commitment to Ellie and Rowan. Congregation, people of Fusion, do you promise to receive Ellie and Rowan in love, to pray for them, to help instruct them in the faith, to encourage and sustain them in the fellowship of believers, people of God? How do you respond? We do God helping us. Amen. You may be seated. All right. That's pretty cool, Ellie, huh? They all love you and they're going to pray for you? Yeah, that's amazing. And now we are going to say these words from the French Reformed liturgy that speak God's truth over uh, our covenant children. These words go like this. For you, Ellie, for you, Rowan, Jesus Christ has come. He has fought, he has suffered for you. He entered Gethsemane. For you, he uttered the cry, it is finished for you. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and there he intercedes for you. Jesus did all of this for you, even though you know just a little bit about it at this point. But we'll continue to tell you this good news until it becomes your own. And so the promise of the gospel is fulfilled. We love because Jesus Christ first loved us. That's some pretty good news. All right. Ellie, are you ready? Do you want to be held by your mom? Is that, is that what you want? We can do that. No? Okay. Well, then I'm going to come down to your level, okay? Ellie, you are a daughter of God, and Jesus loves you. And because of that, we are going to baptize you with this water in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And you can wipe that off your head. It wasn't bad, yeah? <laughs> and now Rowan's turn, yeah. Now you're excited. <laughs> hey, Rowan, Jesus loves you. You are God's beloved son. And so I baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name 
of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we can praise God. Amen. All right. So there's a story, Ellie, that I know you're familiar with. It's from Mark, but it's also in the other Gospels where Jesus, where people are coming to Jesus and they're bringing children to Jesus for him to bless them. And the disciples are like, Jesus doesn't have time for these kids. And you know what Jesus said? He said, let the little children come to me. Jesus is like, come on. Do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to ones just like you guys. And he took the kids in his arms, he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. That's pretty cool. Do you like that story? You're like, quit asking me questions, JB. <laughs> All right. And I told Allie that we had some presents. Okay. So these are for you to remember. In this box is that French Reformed liturgy. You want to hold on to that? And here is, do you guys have this storybook Bible? I feel like you maybe do. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think we did. But, and then we have this little book at your baptism. There's one for you and your brother. And then a little certificate. And I'm going to quit handing you things and I'm going to give that to your mom. And we are going to offer a little prayer. You want to hold on to something? You want my notes? You can have those, Rowan. <laughs> and we're going to come together and we're going to say a prayer, okay? Sounds good? Lord God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your covenant promises. We thank you, Lord, that you love. And because you loved us, Lord, you call us to love one another. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. We thank you for these covenant children. We pray for them. Lord, we pray that uh, for Peter and for Alyssa as they raise them and teach them to love you with all their heart and we as a church come along beside them. And God, we look forward to that day when they'll stand up here again saying, I believe in Jesus with all my heart. We thank you for your covenant promises yesterday, today, and always, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. God's people say together, amen. All right, all right, I can have my notes back. That's good. Thank you, thank you. Hey, at this time, I'm gonna invite our little ones to head over to the door. We got children's worship. One of the ways we commit to our children and keep our end of those promises that we made is we got Sunday school and children's worship and uh, nursery. I'm sure those folks are already over there. Uh, just a little reminder, if you want to fulfill those covenant promises and serve in our, in our nursery or in our uh, children's worship space, we'd love to have you. And uh, join Janet over there. All right. And we have our little, uh, our little words that we're going to bless them and they're going to bless us in return. So adults, join with me. The Lord be with you. All right, amen. And Linda's going to come and lead us in a time of prayer. Thanks, Linda. It always brings a smile to your face, doesn't it? To see the kids and to hear them shout and to give a blessing to us. That is such a joy. It is such, it just puts a smile on my face. That's all I can say. So now we're going to go into a time of prayer, and I'm going to start with Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. Oh, thank you, Lord, that they speak. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Lord, some of this is just too much for me to fathom, that they can speak day after day, and during the night, they reveal knowledge that you've put in them. Thank you, Lord. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. 
Lord, when we go through this world right now, everything seems to be wanting our attention. Everything speaks louder so it can get our attention. And Lord, the trees, they stand, they have no speech, they have no words. Yet, Lord, you hear their voice. It goes into all the earth. Their world, their words to the end of the world. Lord, help us so that we can be quiet before you. Lord, help us to settle our minds. Help us now, Lord, in the quiet to release the daily pressures, the words, the clamoring that comes after us all the time. Lord, right now we sit in a moment of silence so that we can hear you, what you might want to say to us, be it through nature or be it through that gentle whisper that you give to our hearts. Lord, and in the quiet, I want to pray for those people whose hearts are just crying. Their hearts are crying and they don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do. Lord, I ask that your peace reign on them. Lord, I ask that you bring someone alongside of them just to sit quietly with them, to let them cry out their heart to you, Lord. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Lord, help us so that we can turn to you, knowing that you are the only one that will last forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. Lord, help us, those words that you've buried deep within us for a long time. Those decrees, Lord, are firm. Nothing can change that. They are righteous. Lord, you will not take them away from us no matter what the world says. Lord, and as these words go from my mouth and the meditation of my heart, Lord, I ask that they be pleasing in your sight. That the words, Lord, that the people here have given to you, that you might find pleasure in us being quiet before you. Lord, you are my rock and you are my redeemer. Amen. Thank you, Linda. Well, good morning, Fusion again. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Pastor JB, what a delight, delightful fall morning it is. And I don't know about you, but 
One of my favorite things is uh, a baptism on a Sunday as we get reminded uh, of God's faithfulness in our lives. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah, amen. God is faithful. Uh, Just a reminder uh, quickly that uh, next week to kind of live into this vision of we're trying to deepen our connections and sharing names is kind of that first level of connection. Next week we're going to start kind of those name tags, those kind of name tags you write your name on. So just encourage you to... uh, um, how about this? Uh, last night we watched the movie Maverick, Top Gun Maverick. In the words of Maverick, don't think, just do. Okay, which is horrible advice in any other sphere of life. But for name tags, don't think, just do it. It's gonna be good, okay. Uh, just go with the name tags. Hey, we got a lot to get into this morning, and so let's dive in. We're, we're working our way through the entire narrative of Scripture using a resource called the story. And the story divides the Scriptures uh, into larger movements to see how all of these stories, many of the stories uh, that we grew up with, how those all come together to form one larger story that leads us to Jesus. And uh, hopefully you've, you've found this series helpful. I know I have. Um, but just a quick review. We began in the book of Genesis and covered, uh, in three weeks, we covered the whole book of Genesis, looking at the creation of the cosmos, how sin entered the world uh, through Adam and Eve, uh, how God then began to work to renew and to restore his created world, to redeem it. And, And the second part of Genesis led to a family, a chosen family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And through this family, God would begin a plan of redemption and restoration. That family ended up in Egypt, 400 years, slavery. Last week, we looked at the first half of Exodus, uh, which really is where the book gets its name and how God delivered the people out of Egypt. And now we get to where they, where Moses, God brought them. There's, there's one. Okay. I'm just going to take this off and maybe that'll help. Okay. We're getting pumped up. All right, so Exodus, that leads us right to Mount Sinai. We're at the foot of Mount Sinai where Moses is with God's people and we're gonna jump in and cover the next, uh, you know, 19 through 40, chapters 19 through 40, uh, to see that Moses meets with God on Mount Sinai and God establishes this covenant with Israel. And this morning we're gonna begin right at the beginning there, Exodus 19 verses one through nine, uh, where God summarizes beautifully what he's looking to accomplish at Mount Sinai, uh, more specifically his plans for Israel. And so listen for that and then we're gonna consider what God gives to the people as a word from the Lord in the rest of the book. Our tradition, our custom here is to stand as we hear God speak to us, and so I'd invite you to stand as God speaks to us through his word. Exodus 19, verses one through nine. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. And this is what he is to say. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Verse seven. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking to you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, we, we thank you for that time of prayer, for this time of worship. We pray, God, that your spirit would continue to work in our hearts, to calm our hearts, to open our ears and our minds and our hearts so that we might hear from you this morning. Be reminded of your promises in our lives. And Lord, be challenged in the ways in which you've called us to live. We pray all this in the powerful, wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. And amen. Parenting. Parenting, I know I talk about it a lot, but that's the season of life I'm in. And uh, parenting is, 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 I think, one of, if not the most difficult responsibilities God places in our lives. Amen for that. Think about this. As, as parents, we have this, this short window when our kids are living under our roof uh, to, to model and to teach our children what we value the most. For most of us here, uh, we want to model our faith in Jesus. We want to model and teach a, a love for Jesus Christ. Those are some of the promises that were just made a few moments ago. And, and what we're hoping is that, that this love and this faith in Jesus Christ is what our, what our kids latch on to, what they take from us, and not simply all of the other baggage that comes with it. You know, we've talked about that we're all broken people. And, uh, and then you have these moments where you realize that uh, I think the kids are getting some other things from us, right? And uh, just last week, um, you know this, I talk about this way too much too, but I'm a Green Bay Packer fan, yeah. And talk about sacrifice. The Packers are playing right now, um, okay? I don't want to pat myself on the back. There's a game going on. Don't flash me any scores. I have no idea. I don't want to be distracted. Uh, I'm just teasing. But, but my, my kids see that, right? They see this Packer fandom. And uh, last week, the Packers were playing the Patriots, and I'll spare you the details, but the Packers weren't playing very well. And uh, I was maybe had some, some choice words at the television screen. And, and a little later in the second half, uh, we're in the kitchen, and we look over at Bryce, and he's sitting on the coffee table in our living room, and he's yelling at the TV, you know, he doesn't know football all that much. You know, he just knows the Packers. He's like, yeah, get them. You get them, Packers. You know, hit them and tackle them. And, you know, he's like copying things he heard me say. So I'm sure it was very appropriate uh, for Sunday morning. Yeah. So he's like, but he's like, he's, he got this like, you know, tackle them or get a touchdown. And, and so I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, clearly my kids have gotten the, the Packers fandom from their dad. And I'm just like, oh, man, I hope I hope that they also got a little bit of the, the love for Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, as, as we think about being a parent, you know, we're doing the best we can. And we're trying to instill what we value the most. And, and as I think about this stage of having our kids under our roof and, and raising our kids and instilling values and the things we want them to, to, to leave our home with, my mind gets brought to what's happening for the people of God here at the base of this mountain in the desert. 
Because in some ways, Mount Sinai is, is the people of Israel's time of, of growing up and maturing at, under the, the care of the Lord in the desert. They've just been rescued from Egypt, but at this point, if, if you read the story and you have an understanding of the story, they're still young and they're immature and they're longing for Egypt, but it's at Mount Sinai where God is preparing them to move into the promised land, preparing this, this family that has just left Egypt to become his chosen nation. And a lot of what's happening at Mount Sinai is God preparing his people for what is to come. Now let's look at Exodus chapters 19 through 40, and even looking into some of Leviticus, there's a few primary emphases in these chapters of Exodus. Let's look at the structure again. What, what, are, what do we see here in Exodus chapters 19 through 40? Well, all of it takes place at Mount Sinai. They spend a year in Mount Sinai, and, and for through, ex, through Exodus, through Leviticus, and into Numbers, the people of God are going to be at Mount Sinai before they leave Mount Sinai for this promised land. But it's here at Mount Sinai where the first thing that's happening is God is establishing or reestablishing this covenant with Israel. That's what's happening in chapter 19. That's what we read. God has given them this word. They've agreed to that covenant. But the other primary thing that's happening in these chapters, the most familiar probably words from Exodus are the Ten Commandments. So the law is given in chapters uh, 20 through 24. The law is given, and God is giving them instructions on how to live. And then we have a substantial amount of the book of Exodus, chapters 25 through 31 and 35 through 40, which are all giving these, these detailed instructions around the construction of the tabernacle. So three big ideas, covenant, commands, and tabernacle. What is going on in all of these chapters? What is God trying to accomplish when we think about covenant, the law, or commands, and then all of these instructions about the tabernacle? What I want to do this morning is just kind of walk briefly through each of those three major movements in the book of Exodus and consider why they're significant in what God is trying to accomplish here at Mount Sinai. What are God's ultimate intentions for Israel? And we just read that in his word in verses 4 through 6, a little preview. But let's look at that. Are you with me? You following? All right. So let's begin by looking at covenant. Exodus 19, the passage that we just read, uh, the Lord brings the people up from Egypt through the wilderness to Mount Sinai, the holy mountain. Moses went up to the mountain to meet with God at the top of Mount Sinai, and God gives him this word to give to the people. Let's read it again. Exodus 19. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. It's a one-verse summary of the last 18 chapters of the book of Exodus, right? Verse five. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And the people of God in verse eight respond, we will do everything the Lord has said. Now this same kind of pattern gets repeated in Exodus 24. After Moses receives the law, he comes back down, he shares with the people the covenant, the law of God that he just received, and they again echo this same agreement. We will do everything the Lord has said. What's going on here? Well, here's the point. God is entering into this covenant with Israel, kind of reestablishing the covenant. It's the continuation of the covenant that God made with Abraham generations before, right, where God has this plan, has these promises for his people. And, and, and the plan that we read here in Exodus is that they would be a holy nation, 
right? That's the plan. I'm going to covenant with you so that you will be a holy nation and a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, kingdom of priests. Hold on to those two terms, but it's all founded in this covenant. And a covenant is all founded, the bedrock of God's covenant with his people is his love and his faithfulness. The same love and faithfulness that we just claimed moments ago, right? Here's the connect. You see, many of us, we have these, these plans for our kids, right? They might not even know it yet that you have these plans for them, right? But that desire for a good future for our kids uh, to live a certain way, to believe certain things because we believe that these things lead to a good and, and fruitful and prosperous life. It's not, we, we have these hopes for our kids not because we're controlling, but because we love them. The bedrock is, is, is this love, this covenant, this, these promises. And the one thing, the, the first thing good parents want their kids to know is how much they are loved, right? This is the covenant that God is reestablishing with the people of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai, and Israel agrees to the covenant. We will do everything the Lord has commanded us, which comes with some terms, right? And so these next verses, these commands that God gives of the, are the terms of the covenant. And we talked about this back in March when we went through our Exodus series. Uh, but it's, it's kind of like when two people get married, right? Two people get married and they stand before their loved ones and they say, we promise to, to be one another's one and only for, for the rest of our lives. And we have this part called the vows, Right? Those are kind of the terms of the covenant. These are the things I promise to do. These are the promises, the commitments I make as I covenant to do life with this one person for the rest of my life. In a similar way, there are these commitments that God asks, these vows, these terms to the covenant that God asks of his people. If you're gonna be my covenant people, this is how you are to live. See, for Israel to live into God's upper story plan for them to be a holy nation, they will need to obey some commands. Some commands. Exodus 20, verse, chapters 20 through 24 gives a list of some of the first commands they're given. They're divided into two sections. The first 10, probably the most well-known words from the book of Exodus, right? The Ten Commandments. And then the chapters that follow the Ten Commandments are an additional 52 additional laws all around worship and, and really social justice and ordering a nation. Let's talk about those briefly here just as we have some time. Let's begin with the Ten Commandments. There they are on the screen. I'm not gonna read through all of them. Well, maybe I will. Okay, the Ten Commandments. These are the most well-known commands in the scripture. There are 10 foundational laws that will guide life for Israel and for generations to follow, right? These are 10 commands that are timeless laws for believers of Yahweh. As Christians, we hold to the 10 commandments because these are foundational words that lead to life. Can I get an amen? Amen, yeah, right? The first four uh, are, are having to do with our relationship to God. So no other gods before Yahweh, no idols, no images. Do not take, the word really is, do not carry the name of the Yahweh in vain. And then number four, uh, remember the Sabbath, which literally means stop. Sabbath just means stop, rest. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, which is the foundation for all of Israel's worship practices, Sabbath rest. The second tablet, as it's been traditionally called, the second grouping of laws, the next six, all have to do with how we interact and engage with other people. 
And these six are almost universally accepted as laws uh, that, are, that are good and leading to life and how we should engage with other people. Now, the first one's pretty contextual, but you gotta understand honor-shame culture where families are the bedrock of society. Honoring your father and mother is so crucial. Maybe we've lost a little bit of that, but it's still an important one. Honor your father and mother, number five. Number six uh, is a series of, of laws that just begin with low. Say with that with me, low which just means no. Okay, that's Hebrew for no. So it's no murder, no adultery, no stealing, no false testimony, and then no coveting. And with that 10th command, he lists seven things that we are not to covet. Now that one's very contextual, unless any of you has a donkey or an ox that your neighbors are longing after. Okay, that one's really contextual. Uh, But what we understand is the heart, the spirit behind these 10 laws are good and they continue to be true for us as we think about ordering and a good starting point for an ordered and fair society. Ten commands. Then Exodus continues and there's 52 additional commands. I'm not going to read all of those this morning, but just to highlight a few. Exodus chapters 21 through 24, 52 more commands, uh, mostly around worship practices and social and ordering society, social justice. Now, admittedly, many of these, if you were to to just pick up Exodus 21 and just start reading through, many of those uh, are gonna feel a little less relevant or like, what's going on? Because they're contextual from a few thousand years ago. But for Israel, who just left Egypt, these will become some of the first laws that govern how they are to live as a nation. And many of them are about maintaining justice in your land and how do you treat the marginalized among you. And if you were to carefully read through these, what I think you'd find is some of them you're going to be like, what is that about? You know, and it's going to bring some questions um, because of the contextual differences. But there's going to be others where it's going to be kind of this pleasant surprise like, wow, that's in the Bible? Here's just a couple of examples. Some ones that maybe raise some questions. There's a bunch of laws about about slaves and how to treat slaves. And for us, it's just like, what is going on with that in chapter 21? Uh, Some other ones that are a little disturbing, death penalty, punishments for idolatry and sorcery. And uh, kids, get this one, if you curse your parents. uh, Okay, there was a death penalty for that, striking your parents. Okay, so we're kind of like, what is going on with that? And then there's all these detailed instructions about worship and altars, and we're kind of like, what is going on? Those are contextual. But I also want to highlight some of the surprises where you're like, wow, that's in the scriptures. Because so many of the laws in Exodus 20 through 24 are about the fair treatment of the sojourner or like the foreigner in your land, about the fair treatment of the widow and the orphan that you will not forget about these people. About, there's laws about not taking advantage of, of those who don't have n- enough. If you lend money to, the one, to, to my people among you who is needy, charge no interest. Someone who's down in their luck, you don't charge them interest, right? I mean, that's in these first laws that God gives to his people, right? There's, there's even this, this law about, about, oh, here's another one um, that I read this morning again. If, if there's a law, do not take someone's cloak, because that's the only garment they have. And what does Jesus say? Anyway, if someone asks for your tunic, give them your cloak. Okay, so there's a whole other sermon in there. I don't know why I'm sharing that, but there's just some interesting things. And then finally, the, the bottom kind of got cut off there, but if, if you come across uh, your enemy's ox or donkey and it's stuck or it's been lost, don't just look away and be like, oh man, glad the enemy's donkey is stuck in a ditch or something. No, you are to go and rescue that donkey or ox and bring it back to your enemy. 
there are some laws in here that are like, wow. They seem strange, but they, they also seem good for society. In fact, I'm reading these and I'm like, man, if, if maybe our society could get behind the spirit of some of these laws, we'd be in a little better place, amen, right? So here's the connection. As we think about God preparing his people for this next stage of their journey, it actually makes a lot of sense that he would begin to give them rules and guidelines for his people and how they should live as a nation. In the same way as we as parents, when we have our kids under our household, right, we have rules, we have guidelines, we have boundaries set in place for their own good. This is part of what God is doing, forming a people. Here's the point. God is giving guidelines for the people to become a holy nation, chapter 19, verse 6, right? He's giving guidelines for his people to become a holy nation. The law was given to the people of Israel so that they would be a distinct people, a holy nation set apart. The Hebrew word for holy is kadosh, which shares this meaning of consecrated or set apart. In other words, Israel was to be a nation that was set apart, that was distinct. They were not to look like the other nations that lived around them. There was to be something different about them. Israel was to look different from the nations. And much of that is about, is about is given in the law, it has to do with their worship practices. One of the big distinctives is that they worshiped and served Yahweh alone. Certainly that's a huge part of it. But also what's fascinating, as you read the law, there was something else that made Israel look different from the other nations. And it had to do with how they treated the marginalized and disenfranchised in their land. This theme continues in the Torah. There's all kinds of laws about how you treat the slave or the immigrant or the widow or the orphan. Israel was to look different than the nations around them. In fact, I've read that if you are in the ancient world and you happen to find yourself in one of these situations where, where you an, you're an immigrant or you're a widow or an orphan, you would much rather be in those circumstances in ancient Israel than in any other ancient contemporary culture. If you're an orphan, you'd much rather be in Israel than in Babylon, for example. Because in the law of the people, there is provision to take care of the least of these in ancient Israel. Wow, Israel was to be holy, was to be distinct, was to look different than the other nations around them. Covenant, commands, which leads us to our final movement in Exodus. We have uh, almost a quarter of the book of Exodus that has to do with the tabernacle, okay? Not a word we use all that often, right? Tabernacle. Why is so much page space devoted to these detailed instructions for the tabernacle? If you've ever tried reading the Bible from, page, from Genesis to Revelation in a year, this is probably where it starts to become laborious, right? It's like, man, what is all of these laws, you know? This is where people, some people give up, you know? But there's something fascinating about what's going on. Tabernacle. What is the tabernacle, first of all? Uh, the Hebrew word for tabernacle is, is mishkan, which comes from the Hebrew verb shakan, meaning to abide or to dwell. So this word tabernacle, mishkan, literally means dwelling place the abode, the dwelling place. So the tabernacle was like this mobile, portable dwelling place, a tent of Yahweh where Yahweh could dwell with his people, Israel. Now that sounds significant. For a people of God who are gonna leave this mountain, leave the desert and enter the promised land, is it important that God goes with? 
Absolutely. In fact, Moses later on says, I'm not, we don't want to go if you're not going to go with us. And so here comes these instructions for how to build this tabernacle so that God, Yahweh, will go with his people into the promised land. Now here's the thing about, about Yahweh, right? He's holy. God is almighty. And, and, and God can't just live anywhere, right? He just can't. He just, like his power, his glory, his majesty would overwhelm people, Right? And we see that in these chapters as well as Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and we have these, these images of God appearing on Mount Sinai. We saw them earlier. God's presence is represented in Scripture, throughout Scripture, in fire and thunder and smoke and a cloud and lightning and trumpet blasts, right? Like it's intimidating because God's power, yeah, right? And so Mount Sinai becomes this place where heaven and earth intersect and Moses meets with God on the mountain. Seven times God, Moses goes up to the mountain, Mount Sinai, and meets with God. This is where heaven and earth is intersecting. In, in Exodus 24, here's a cool little parallel. Uh, this is from Bible Project and it's just fascinating. But in Exodus 24, we have this interesting account where Moses is going up to the mountain and along with him comes Aaron and some other priests along with 70 elders. And we're told that they go partway up the mountain, but not to the top. And as they go partway up to the mountain, they get a peak of God and they have this feast in the mountain. Exodus 24, if you want to read that this afternoon. And what we see is, 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 is this image of Mount Sinai where there's these different levels where certain people can go. Only Moses can go to the top of the mountain to meet with God face to face. The people remain at the base of the mountain. And what happens with the tabernacle is there are these parallels. Can you see the similarities? The tabernacle is a, is a blueprint similar uh, to the, the, the blueprint of Mount, Zion, Mount Sinai. Excuse me. We see this graphic. Look at the parallels. There's this outer courtyard where the people are to gather for worship, kind of like the base of the mountain, where there's a bronze altar and there's a place for burnt offerings. There's a bronze basin for ceremonial washing. This is kind of like the base of the mountain. Inside, there's the tabernacle tent proper, and there's two spaces within the tabernacle. The holy place where the priests would go and offer, uh, there, there would be the, the, the table of incense, the altar of incense, excuse me, a lampstand and a table with bread. And then in the holy of holy space is where the Ark of the Covenant, this is where God's presence dwelled and only one priest once a year was allowed to enter into there on the Day of Atonement. And so we have these parallels on Mount Sinai, it's Moses and priests and in the tabernacle now, suddenly God, do you see what's happening? In Exodus, God is giving these blueprints for a tabernacle which is basically a portable Mount Sinai so Yahweh will always be able to be with God's people. Because Mount Sinai is this one geographic place. But now, heaven and earth are going to meet in this tabernacle that's going to go with the people. Pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. Because the tabernacle is the Lord making his dwelling place among the people. And here's where it connects to Exodus 19. We see the tabernacle. There are these roles in the tabernacle. Priests, right? On Mount Sinai, it's Moses who is the high priest that engages with God. But, but throughout the history of God's people, these priests would act as intermediaries between God and the people. Moses functioning in this role while he's with the people, but later on, priests from the line of Aaron would fill this role for Israel in the tabernacle, but later on in the temple. And the priests in the tabernacle and the temple would pray on behalf of the people. They would offer sacrifices on behalf of the sins of the people to offer an atonement for sin. 
And so as Israel prepares to leave Sinai, God is preparing them to prepare his, to carry his presence with them. And we see how this is related to his vision for them becoming a kingdom of priests. God's vision for the people of God was, was not that they would be a kingdom with some priests acting as their intermediaries. God's original vision was this carry-on from the promises made to Abraham that God would bless this descendants of Abraham for the blessings of all peoples on earth. And the vision was that God's nation, Israel, would all be these priests that would be the intermediaries for the nations. Now here, when we kind of make these connects to, to parenting, everything kind of breaks down, right? <laughs> Good parents want our kids to know we're always there, but certainly it doesn't require a portable tent, and I think an iPhone or whatever is a poor substitute. So that illustration breaks down. But we, also, but we see the spirit of wanting to be with our kids for them to know we're always there. God has this covenant people He's got his people on this, uh, at the base of this mountain, Sinai, for a whole year, and he's preparing them for his upper story purpose. His purpose is that you will be a holy nation. And to prepare you for that, here's some commands. This is how you are to live that is distinct from the nations around you. But it, you also are to be a kingdom of priests. God's, God's plan is for his nation to be his representatives in the world Again, as this continuation of Abraham, the covenant made with Abraham to bring blessing to all peoples on earth. Now next week we're really gonna focus on this, but if, if you continue reading in the story, how does, he, how does Israel do? Not so good. As we continue to read in the story, Israel's gonna fail over and over and over again. We're gonna cover that in the wilderness next week. In fact, in Exodus 32, if you're following along in the story, that was part of this week's chapter, is the story of the golden calf. Commandments one and two, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Don't make a graven image. What do they do? Golden calf. Worship a god other than him. Make an image. That's 40 days after they agreed to the covenant. 40 days, and they've failed God. But here's the good news. Where Israel failed in God's plan, Jesus fulfilled it all. Every way that Israel failed to live into this plan and these purposes that God had intended for him, Jesus Christ fulfilled. We see in, in, in Jesus Christ that, that in Christ a, a new covenant is established. Right, Jesus Christ dies on the cross, his blood is shed, and through Jesus Christ, a new covenant is established with his chosen people, those who would claim the name of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, this, this law, which the people of God could never live into, could never live up to, Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. Not only by living perfectly, but then dying on a cross and paying the, the just punishment for not living up to that law. And then, this tabernacle. In fact, John, when John says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling, it's the same word, tabernacle. Jesus Christ tabernacled, he dwelt among us, and now by the power of the Spirit, Jesus Christ lives in us as his people. The Apostle Peter in, in 1 Peter 2, chapter, verses 9 and 10, actually, actually borrows these words from Exodus 19 verbatim almost. Uh, these words about being 
a treasured possession, kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Listen to these words from First Peter, carrying this covenant forward in the church. But you are my chosen people, a royal priesthood. Do you hear it? Kingdom of priests. A holy nation, God's special possession, that you, church, may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, friends, as God's covenant people, we are called to live differently, to be a holy nation, the church of Jesus Christ, to live distinct lives. We as the church of Jesus Christ should look distinctly different from the people around us. And that's not in some kind of pietistic or, or, or holier than thou way, but we are to be living according to the law which Jesus summarized in this, love God and love your neighbor. So as the church of Jesus Christ, we should be loving radically in a way that surprises people like what is up with these people? We should be living distinctly. And and here's the wildest thing that I have a hard time wrapping my mind around. But by the power of the Spirit, Jesus Christ says and promises that he dwells in us. So when Peter calls us a a royal priesthood, what does that mean? That, that, That what it means is we are God's ambassadors on this earth. And that when we come across someone and Jesus Christ is living in us by the grace of God, by the power of the Spirit, there is this opportunity for them to have an encounter with the living God in and through us. I don't know about you, but that kind of intimidates me (laughs) like no end, right? And yet there are these moments in life when we see glimpses. I talked about my kids and I promised to, to share positive stories about them, not just when they're cheering for the Packers, which I know upsets so many of you. <laughs> just kidding, I don't know. But this, a couple weeks ago, I was at school for pickup, and uh, a mom comes up to me, and so just pardon me, this is a chance for me to brag on my kid, okay? <laughs> but a mom comes up to me and, and says, yeah, um, her son, who um, was in Bryson's class the year before, is in kindergarten. He was coming up to school and he was just distraught. He was just crying, you know. He just he was just crying. couldn't couldn't get himself together. His mom was having a hard time, and she said that that Emmy saw him, recognized him, and ran over to him and just started talking with him. Like there was some sense, and, and she she said, you know, hey, and I don't remember all that happened, but she said that he she just came over to him to make sure he was okay and said, come on, come into school with me. And she walked into school with this little boy and things were okay. Our kids are gonna get a lot of the things that are messed up. But when we, when we baptize our kids, what do we say? God helping me. <laughs> Only by the grace of God do they pick up these little glimpses of what it means to follow Jesus. And sometimes they live into it. For us as the church of Jesus Christ, I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what that looks like for you and your circumstances right now, but what does it look like to live into this vision? What, is it, what does it look like for you to, to just be a little different, be a little distinct, and in this strange way, the presence of God living through us? Because the opportunity by the grace of God, not our strength, not our power, but that when people come see us, they might, they just might have this moment where they encounter the living God. 
And it doesn't take something super complicated. It might just be, hey, neighbor's moving in. Let's bring some pizza over to the neighbor's house. And you never know what kind of impact that small act of love might make. So church, let's shine on. Let the presence of God live in and through our lives. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this calling to be your church. And Lord, that can be intimidating, and, um, but it's not up to us. As we've, as we've talked about throughout this series, it's just following your lead, living in faith, and by your grace, by the power of Jesus Christ at work in and through us, Lord, glimpses of your presence, glimpses of your faithfulness, glimpses of your love just might shine through. Lord, I pray that you'd meet each of us in this day to challenge us, to to speak to us, give us space so that we might listen to you, so that you might lead us in how we might love, how we might be a light in our neighborhood, in our communities, at the workplace or in our schools, so that, Lord, others might experience your love and your power that's at work in us and through us by your grace, by your power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, I invite you to stand and sing with us.
I'll go with these words. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Go in peace. Come taste and see that the Lord is good. Come sit at the table of mercy. Come taste and see that the Lord is good. He is good. God, you're always good. Just one word, just one touch from you and I believe. You love me, you are for me. You hold nothing back from me. Never walk away.